Good morning. How are I? Sound check? One, two. I think I'm sounding good. If I don't say so myself. <laughs> uh, welcome to church this morning. It's lovely seeing everyone here. We've got a few new people. Uh, a few people have been uh, uh, joining us back from having a baby. Well, just one person. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and so it, it's good to be here. Um, if you're joining us, if you missed last week, we've just started a new series. We're looking at this topic uh, of the gospel in Exodus. And by the gospel, we're talking about God's plan to save. His kind of plan that he has initiated and how he's going to bring this uh, into being. We're going to see this more fully as we keep reading through the Bible. The Exodus is the second book. We're going to have to keep reading through it, uh, and we're going to get to uh, the Gospels, where we're going to see the Gospel. It's a bit confusing, but we're going to get the stories of Jesus' life. We're going to be able to see how God's plan to save us finds ultimate fulfillment in that. Um, and I'm actually, I really am looking forward to, to spending more time in Exodus, because I think Exodus has got these, these great passages which give us this almost mirror of these things that we come across as we come to look at, at God's plan to save us. As we look at the gospel, Exodus actually it, it foreshadows so much of what we as Christians believe. Uh, and it's so important for us to be able to come back and keep remembering and keep focusing on the gospel. To be able to remind ourselves of how important and how key and how amazing what God has done truly is. Uh, I was actually this week, uh, I've had a, a week that's been a bit, a bit fuller than an ordinary week would be. I had a um, pastor's gathering where all the pastors from the, the Baptist churches in South Australia gathered together. Uh, it was actually not just Baptist churches from South Australia, but we are later this year as a Baptist church movement looking to conglomerate with uh, those from the Northern Territory. And so it will be Northern Territory and South Australian Baptist churches will, will come together. Uh, and so there were some people there from Alice Springs uh, and from Darwin. Uh, and so it was lovely to be able to gather together with all these pastors from uh, across a, uh, our nation, really. Uh, and the key speaker that came, came to speak about this topic. <laughs> we have planned this, I planned this months ago to talk about the gospel in Exodus and here I was at a conference during the week where the person was speaking about the need to gospel ourselves. Gospeling ourselves. The idea that we need to grow our understanding and appreciation of the gospel. That's what is being said to the pastors of South Australia and the Northern Territory. That this is what is key and essential for us. We need to keep coming back to see the incredible gift that Jesus is to us. It should reorient our lives. It becomes the reason we make time to actually read God's Word. Not because we have to, but because we want to know more about this incredible God who we find out about in the pages within. It makes us want to go to our God in prayer, not because we're instructed to, but because we know his love, his comfort, his goodness, and his power. We want to live according to his commands, not because of fear of judgment if we don't. No, we do it as a response to his love, 
as an act of trust and obedience. And see, as we keep coming back to the gospel and being recaptured by how glorious and incredible this is, that the author of life would actually step down into our world, into the mess that we call earth with all of its issues, that he would give up his life on a cross for me. Someone who was dead in my sins, as we heard about last week when we looked at Exodus chapter 1. So hopelessly lost and enslaved. Someone who treated God as my enemy, to be resisted and avoided. He didn't die because of me. He didn't die for me because of how great I am. Um, No, he died in spite of who I am. He died because he loves me and he wanted better for me. As individuals, we need more of the gospel. As pastors in South Australia, Northern Territory, we need more of the gospel. As we sit here in this church in Glen Osmond, we need more of the gospel. We need it as individuals. We need it as a community to shape who we are as God's people. What our wider community needs as we step outside the doors to go back to our homes, to our suburbs, is the gospel. They need to know God's goodness, God's grace, God's mercy. It's the image that Jesus talks about of a light on a hill that shines out to those around it. It's the idea of the living water that's springing up from within us and flowing out to those around us. I mentioned it last week, but this is what I hope we'll gain a greater appreciation for as we continue to look through the Exodus story. As we see these key elements of the gospel foreshadowed and mirrored by the story that took place so many years beforehand. Last week, uh, we looked at Exodus 1. We ended in a pretty dark place, actually. Uh, Thanks for coming back. Uh, uh, At the end of Exodus chapter 1, Israel, the Hebrew people, they were slaves in Egypt, uh, and the Pharaoh had taken a particular disliking to them uh, and was trying to curb their growth. Um, and had decided that he would throw uh, all of their male children, all the male babies, into the Nile. Uh, And that's kind of where we ended. (laughs) Uh, Pretty full-on, pretty intense. Uh, And our reading today that I'm going to read for us in a moment is going to come from Exodus chapter 6. But we've got a bit of space there, right? Exodus chapter 1 ends. Exodus chapter 6 takes place 80 years after we finished last week. Um, And so there's a fair bit for us to recap on. Kylie's read some of it out for us, which has been really helpful. Uh, I'm going to try and do us a very quick recap. I think Josh has got some pictures to help keep me on track. Uh, So Exodus chapter 2, Moses is indeed thrown in the Nile, but he has a basket. He's made a basket with pitch and tar underneath it, uh, and he's put in the Nile. Uh, despite that being full of hippos, crocodiles, quite dangerous things. Uh, And Pharaoh's daughter finds the baby uh, floating in the basket and she is moved to compassion. And she doesn't want to leave this child to die. 
And so she takes the child in, and she raises it as one of her own children. And so Moses has this incredible experience where he is a Hebrew man, but now he's being raised in the palace in Egypt. Uh, Next slide, thanks, Josh. Uh, However, at some point, I think it's about 40 years into his life after having kind of gone through this, he is wandering around Egypt and he sees an Egyptian who is whipping and beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And he doesn't He's moved by this. He's, he's, he's angered by this. He's, he's furious. And in his anger, he strikes out at this Egyptian. And it tells us in, uh, in Exodus that he actually kills the Egyptian man uh, and, and tries to kind of display, hide his body, uh, but then kind of just continues on. And the next thing that happens is the very next day, he's wandering around Egypt again, and he comes across a Hebrew mistreating another Hebrew, punishing him, kind of getting to this big argument, and, and, and Moses like, what are you guys doing? Like, you're Hebrews, like, what, why are you doing this? And one of them responds, what are you going to do? Are you going to kill me too? And at that moment, Moses realizes that his secret is out. People are going to find out about what he's done and he's going to be in some pretty significant trouble. And so he does what a mature 40-year-old man would do. He, he kind of faces the consequences for his actions. No, 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 no. Why would he do that? He runs away. He runs away and spends the next 40 years living in the wilderness. Talk about shirking responsibility. Uh, and so he goes off and he, he literally runs into the desert and runs away from his problems. And he then becomes like a, a sheep herder, as we heard from, from Kyle in chapter 3. He's, he's looking after the sheep, and he's just there. And he's pretty directionless and purposelessness. You get what I mean? I'm not sure if you've ever felt that. you felt that kind of God's taking you to a place, and you're like, what, what am I doing here? Maybe it might be because you're running away from something. Maybe it might be because of some decisions that you've made. But God's not done with Moses. God's not through with him. He's got a plan. And Moses' stubbornness and Moses' refusal to deal with the consequences of what he's done isn't going to stop God from being able to achieve his purposes. And so the next uh, slide, thanks, Josh. Uh, God appears to Moses says that Moses sees a bush which is on fire. And as he comes close to this bush, it's on fire, but the actual bush itself isn't burning up. So normally fire will consume, but that's not happening with this, uh, with this bush. It's, it's fire, and then he hears a voice coming out of it. And God speaks directly to Moses. And, and Kylie read some of that speech out to us about God saying, I'm going I'm to achieve my purpose. I've got a plan, and my plan is to bring Abraham's family out of slavery in Egypt to this land that I've promised Abraham. I promised Abraham a land to live in. I promised him uh, numerous offspring and a big family, and that he would be a blessing to the whole world. The Hebrews are now a nation, but they're enslaved, and they can't really be a blessing as they are enslaved. And God's got a plan, and he's going to bring it He's going to bring it forward. And so uh, he, te- he sends Moses with this, 
uh, mission to go and speak to Pharaoh and say, you need to let the Hebrew people go. They're going to go to a a mountain to worship me. Um, The Hebrews are Pharaoh's slaves. They're his workforce. They're building his storehouses and his cities. And so Moses is like, I don't think Pharaoh is going to like that. I don't think Pharaoh is going to be like, sure, off you go. And this guy's got a fair bit of power. And I could be in a bit of trouble if that happens. And so uh, God gives Moses some signs uh, to perform. But Moses is aware it's not just Pharaoh, it's also the Hebrew people. He's, got a, like, he's coming and saying, I've got a message from your God that I'm going to lead you out of Egypt. And I'm like, sorry, who, who are you? The guy who's just disappeared for 40 years. And so he's got he's to speak to the Hebrew people first, then he's got to speak to Pharaoh. And so God gives him some, some tricks to show that it's actually God that's with him. He's got his staff. He says, God says, throw it to the ground, and it turns into a snake. So then he picks up the tail of the snake, and it turns back into the staff. He's also, he puts his hand inside his, his coat, and when he pulls it out, his hand is leprous, uh, white and decaying with flesh falling off, puts it back in, and it's gone. Unheard of back then. Now, antibiotics will take care of leprosy. Back then, terrible skin condition, big problems if you get it. And so God's showing his power to be able to give and take away all these sorts of things. So he goes back. Uh, Next slide. He goes back to Egypt, and the first thing he does, he goes and speaks to the Hebrews. um, And they've been crying out to God, and so they take some convincing, but eventually they're like, great, this is amazing. Uh, Perhaps God's listened to our prayers. Perhaps he has heard us. Um, And so he goes, and then after speaking to the people, they're like, this is amazing. God's heard us. And so he goes to speak to Pharaoh, uh, and Pharaoh's reaction is perhaps as Moses had feared. Uh, He is not overly impressed, uh, and he is not happy with the situation. And so what he says he's going to do, he's like, well, if you guys have got so much time on your hands... If you have got time to be able to have somebody come and say, hey, we want to go and worship God at a mountain, if you've got the time and space, maybe, maybe the issue is you're not working hard enough. And so these Hebrew people who are already enslaved, already working hard, making bricks, building cities, uh, next slide, Pharaoh says, well, you've clearly got a bit of extra time on your hands. That's the conversation with Pharaoh that's not going quite to plan. That's the one I wanted. Uh, And so he says, you now, you normally use straw to kind of make these bricks, which is provided for you. If you've got so much time in your hands, you can go get your own straw. And so the slavery gets worse. The Hebrews somewhat turn on Moses. They're like, good one. Now we've got all this extra hard and they, and they cry out even more and they're so oppressed. What, what's this? There's this uh, towards the end of, um, of chapter 5. It says uh, that they were so discouraged. They're so discouraged by the hard labor that they're under. And then we get to Exodus chapter 6. 
the chapter I'd like to read for you, just 11 verses, and this is uh, God speaking to Moses, helping Moses to somewhat process what's just happened. Exodus chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of his country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslavering, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. I wanted to read that to you because I think it contains a truth that's easy to miss. In this story, and Kylie read it out in chapter 3 as well, God outlines what he's going to do before it happens. Pharaoh said, no way, I'm making your uh, slavery harsher, I'm going to make it harder. The Hebrew people throw up their hands in discouragement and oppression, this is too hard. And behind it, God's got it. He's never moved from his plan. Pharaoh can't thwart God's plans. The Hebrews can't thwart God's plans. Moses, with all of his failings, can't thwart God's plans. And he outlines what's going to happen in the rest of the story. I'm going to, with my outstretched hands, I'm going to show the might and my power. The next few chapters are full of the, the plagues of Egypt as God, as God starts to bring these terrible things upon the Egyptian people. And it's interesting, what you don't notice it when you read it from our lens, is all of the plagues that God sends, in some ways, are actually direct challenges to the gods of the Egyptians. You know, the frog god, and they've got these gods of the, the crops, and God just shows who's really has the power, who's really in charge. He shows the might of his outstretched hand through these terrible things that happen to the Egyptian people. And eventually, after it all, Pharaoh's like, get out, and literally drives them out, which is exactly what 
He starts with in chapter 6. Pharaoh's going to drive you out. He's going to send you away. He'll actually chase you out because he wants you gone. And God's going to take you to a place where you're going to become his chosen people. We see this happen chapters later at Mount Sinai. The passage that Kylie read out spoke about the fact that God said, I'm going to bring you back to this mountain. This very mountain that you're standing on when we're having this conversation with the burning bush, this is the mountain where you're going to come and become my people. And then from here, I'm going to take you into the land that I've promised you all along. God's got it. <laughs> right? He's in control. Nothing's going to stop his plans from being achieved. And he sets that out in chapter 3 and again in chapter 6. So there can be no doubt who really is in charge. There's no doubt who really has the power in the story of Exodus. Things look bad. And the Hebrews feel that. They feel the weight as they look around. They are discouraged by their harsh labor. But none of that changes the reality that God has it. And dare I say, as I look at the Hebrews and I look at the situation they find themselves in, I'm reminded of some other people that we meet in the Bible. I'm reminded of the 11 disciples who are left after Jesus leaves, Judas leaves uh, on the night when Jesus is arrested. And over the next 12 hours, as he is beaten, he is tried unfairly, and he is eventually executed on a Roman cross. I think of the darkness that they would have felt. I think of the way that they would have looked at what had gone on and think, man, things are out of control. Where's God? What's he doing? Why would he allow this stuff to happen? I thought Jesus was his son. What, what are you doing? Just like the Hebrews would have felt. I thought we were your people, God. I thought you'd made, promise, I thought you'd made a covenant with Abraham to achieve these things. And now here we are. We're slaves. You promise you're going to come and save us, and it gets worse. Where are you, God? What are you doing? What's going on? It records in the gospel stories that um, that so overwhelmed by emotions that, uh, that Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, is, that when the guards come to arrest Jesus, he kind of pulls out a sword to try and fire them off and actually is able to cut off one of the, the temple guards' ears. And Jesus is like, stop it. Stop. Because he knows that God's in control. He knows, that God's, he knows what God's doing. He knows that God is going to use him to bring us salvation. It might look out of control. It might look like this is not gone to plan. But God's got it. And he is working. And he is working to rescue his people. He's working to rescue his people in Exodus and he's working to rescue his people through the crucifixion of Jesus. God is working. God is still working. I'm not sure what's going on in your life personally. Uh, I've been around Glen Osmond now for for six months, uh, and I've noticed 
things don't always go to plan in, in our services, but also in our lives. Babies switch sleep cycles. Happens sometimes as you take them around the world. Children can struggle with sickness. Uh, sometimes this can be an ongoing cycle of bringing different bugs that come home from school and daycare. Sometimes it's more serious. Sometimes it involves ambulances and hospitals. And sometimes it's scary. Sometimes our health and our bodies don't respond the way we want them to or hope that they would, which then impacts our mood and our capacity. These things are real struggles. Fortunately, it doesn't actually stop once the kids move out of home either. Uh, they can still say and do hurtful things that shut us out of their lives. All these things can make us cry out to God, what are you doing? Where are you? Why aren't you answering my prayers? What's going on? I thought you loved me. I came to church and I sang those songs about how good you are. What are you doing? Why don't I see it in my life? You need to know and be reminded that God is above and beyond our circumstances. He has this, actually has this habit of using situations that seem hopeless and overwhelming to bring himself glory, to actually bring good things out for his people, to teach them about his goodness and his grace, to help bring us to a place of dependence. Because sometimes it might feel like God's out of control, but just like in Exodus, just like with Jesus' crucifixion, God's got it. He's never out of control and his plans cannot be stopped or thwarted. And that's the same for our lives. There's a passage in Romans that says that God is working for the good of those who love him. Sometimes I've got to hang my hat on that verse because I don't see it. Sometimes when I look at life, I don't, I don't feel the fact that God is working for my good. But I know that's true. And I know that God is bigger than my circumstances, bigger than the situation that I find myself in. And when you find yourselves in those situations, the storms of life, the health that goes up and down, when you find yourselves in these situations that seem to overwhelm us, we need to be reminded that God has it and he is working for our good, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it. Which is actually a bridge from a song that kind of came out just before COVID. A song called Waymaker. I first experienced about six months before COVID happened. It came a bit of an anthem in the church that I was at previously through COVID. And I'm actually going to invite us to be able to sing this song. And I'm going to ask that we maybe use this as a prayer to remind ourselves of truth. We might not always see it. We might not always feel it. But God is always at work. He's always working, never stops. And as Romans tells us, he is working for the good of those who love him. So let's stand and declare these truths. Let's pray this song to our God who's got it.